I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. Widely hailed as a masterpiece of rhetoric, if you've listened to this speech, you've got goosebumps. Today we look into the story behind this iconic speech, how it possibly became the biggest speech in the history of modern America and what the impact it's had on the civil rights movement. Stay tuned. Hello, hello. My name is Savant. Hello, listeners. Welcome to another episode of Surface Scratchers. My name is Ronnie. Another week brings us not just another episode, but perhaps another, another series. <laughs> and uh, this, this one is when we take very famous quotes from history and try to scratch the surface on what the background was that led to the quote, who delivered the quote, what was their personal history and what was the legacy of that quote. So today, we're not just looking at a quote, but a speech, Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech that he delivered at the Lincoln Memorial in 1963 during the height of the civil rights movement. So this speech... uh... Particularly, this speech was pretty much, uh, it, it was like an amalgamation of stuff that happened. And then this speech happened and things, you know, yep. there was an impact beyond that. So I think Absolutely. what's really important for this MLK speech is not just his life, but just a deep dive into the entire civil rights movement. So if we could just, you know, quickly skim through what the civil rights movement in the United States actually was, that will give the best context to this speech. So over to you, Ronnie, just for, uh, you know, starting off with the history of the civil rights. All right. I I want to start off with the history of the civil rights movement, because once you start digging into the history of the civil rights movement, you've got to go a little further back and then further back and further back again. So I think a good place to start, uh, Savant, is the Atlantic slave trade. Yeah. We touched upon this a little bit in our, actually the episode that released last week on indentured labor, where we realized uh, that, you know, Europeans in in the Caribbean, in, in North America, in actually the new world, the, both South and North America, mm-hmm. realized that many crops, etc. could not be grown for profit in Europe. It was much easier getting slave labor or indentured labor to the Americas and, you know, growing them very cheaply over there and exporting it to Europe. So in 1619 is when uh, the first slave labor uh, arrived in America on a ship called the White Line, 20 enslaved African reached Virginia. Since then, about 12 million people were picked up of the western coast of Africa largely, uh, around, you know, Angola, uh, which uh, this region was also called the Slave Coast. 12 million people were brought to the New World largely and, you know, used in labor on plantations and all of that. How this worked economically, Savant, was something that I discovered right now in something called the triangular slave trade. So there's a triangle drawn in the South Atlantic and the North Atlantic. What would happen is, Slaves would be shipped from Africa to North America. From North America, the products of this labor of the slaves, which is generally cotton, sugar, tobacco, molasses, rum, etc., would be shipped into Europe. Of course, these could be then used in their factories and all of that to produce finished goods. And 
things like you know clothes guns ammunition would be shipped from europe to africa to pay for the slaves that would be taken to america oh. so there was this africa north america or south america for that matter and europe triangle that existed for you know taking slaves from africa to america making them work taking their finished products to europe and then getting factory manufactured goods to pay for these slaves fast forward a little bit we are only looking at the us in this context in 1776 the 13 colonies decided that they were going to declare themselves independent and in the us declaration of independence which which was authored by thomas jefferson largely there was this line south we hold these truths to be self evident that all men are created equal that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights that amongst these are life liberty and the pursuit of happiness yes so all men are created equal but 18 us presidents while and a few of them while in office owned slaves correct so so from 1776 which is when george washington not more than as, possibly thomas jefferson no <laughs> thomas jefferson even in fact uh, uh, perhaps had a few children with with some slave of his correct so from 1776 i think george washington took office a little later as president but in 1850 so that's that's over like 50 60 years there were uh, presidents who had slaves uh, while in office but over this period you know uh, up the i think uh, till 1804 or something a lot of the northern american states had abolished slavery yes the us congress outlawed slavery in 1808 but even after that the slaves that were brought into the country they of course had children and whatever and their population tripled over the next 50 years till the mid 1850s or whatever so cut to 1860 the us has a war with mexico and a lot of the western united states back then wasn't the united states yeah. it was mexico mexico itself. there were parts of texas new mexico i think utah california to some extent as well so the us gains all of these territories in the war that they win against mexico and there's a question on what the status of slavery in this in these states would be there were a bunch of people who wanted slaves over there there were a bunch of people who did not around this time is again when abraham lincoln became president and he was someone who stood for you know abolishing slavery correct the moment abraham lincoln got uh, elected as prime uh, president seven american states in the south secede from the union they say we are not no longer part of the united states of america we call ourselves the confederate states of america yes. a bunch of states join them then there's a war the american civil war where the northerners and the uh, the union and the confederate go to war against each other eventually in ending with a victory for the union and because they won abraham lincoln actually before their victory even so the civil war lasted from 1861 to 1865 the us civil war in september 1862 abraham lincoln brings about something called the emancipation proclamation mm-hmm. which is essentially freeing slaves from slavery and abolishing slavery in uh, in in the states that were going to war as the confederates so in the union in the northern state it was largely all abolished except i think a few border states or something cut forward a little little later lincoln gives this you know very important speech in this place called gettysburg 
where there was a significant Union victory over the Confederates. And there was some memorial or a cemetery or a graveyard that was being dedicated to the fallen martyrs or soldiers of the Battle of Gettysburg. So in that Gettysburg address, where Lincoln actually wasn't even the main speaker, there were other people who had come before him, given two-hour speeches and all of that. Lincoln, in a matter of minutes, uh, spoke thus. Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought upon this continent a new nation, conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Now we are engaged in a great civil war, testing whether that nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure. Correct. So he's essentially saying the proposition that all men are created equal is being put to the test over here. Yeah. And that's why we're having this war, blah, blah, blah. Why couldn't so he just say 87 years ago? It's quite iconic. It sounds much better. It, it sounds does. much better. It does. Yeah. And, and for uh, listeners who uh, didn't get what Samit was talking about, four score and seven years ago is four into 20. A score is 20. So 80 and seven years ago is when uh, the American nation came into existence. So Lincoln was referring to the Declaration of Independence in his Gettysburg Address. Mm. So anyway, slaves are freed, the Union wins the Civil War, and then there's a period of reconstruction where, you know, freedmen, as they're called, are, you know, brought into the system, they're given the vote and all of that. But there is generally, a, you know, a little bit of sludge, so to say, or, or something that's, you know, not allowing them to fully integrate into society. But this comes to a proper head when uh, the U.S. Supreme Court allows something called uh, the Jim Crow laws, yes. which mean that people can be separate but equal. So as long as a black person and a white person have equalish facilities, you can have separate washrooms, separate bus coaches, separate seats, etc., Many, many actually say that this passing, this law passing of the separate but equal was what aggravated racism in America. This whole conditioning the mind that, hey, now these guys are equal. However, you know, there's a separate bus for them, mm-hmm. separate school for them. But at least there's a school aggravated Correct. that, that, Correct. that racism. Absolutely, absolutely. And not just this, they made uh, uh, voting a very, very difficult thing for black people yeah. to do they would require that the grandfather of a person voting would have had should have had the vote himself got it which which slaves obviously wouldn't have because they just got the vote you know in 1865 or whatever so you know disenfranchisement was a big thing uh, during the jim crow era cut to the you know uh, 20th century the mid 20th century is when the civil rights movement actually takes off And there were quite a few notable incidents that, you know, uh, propelled the cause of the civil rights movement into the national consciousness in in the US and even to the world uh, stage. And I'm sure, Savant, you'll pick up on a few of this, especially in relation to Martin Luther King Jr. And yeah, yeah. So, uh, of course, there was the Montgomery bus riots that he was instrumental in, you know, taking to the national stage over there. There was a murder of a teenager, someone from Chicago who had gone to Mississippi and I think spoke to a woman or maybe touched a white woman or something like that. That woman's uh, husband and stepbrother or whatever murdered this guy. Uh, He was a 15-year-old teenager who'd come from Chicago to Mississippi to visit his relatives or something. So because he was from the North, he didn't really know how, you know, 
and these were just the reported wife. atrocities right Ooh, absolutely what yeah, yeah there were a lot of this uh, i i speak of this 15 year old because uh, uh, there's a very nice song that i'll put in the show notes by by this lady called emilu harris uh, called i think the murder of emmet till emmet till was this boy's name there were a lot of incidents in universities and schools where earlier segregation was the norm black pupils or students were not allowed to you know get their education there so all of this you know many such instead in incidents were part of the civil rights movement there were lynchings the ku klux klan was you know in in full force with their activities as well but you know uh, all of this led to president kennedy remarking in, after you know that university of alabama incident that a rising tide of discontent that threatens the public safety looms on the country right now so that's where i'll stop off savant and hand over to you to, to maybe tell us what uh, what martin luther king junior's role yes. was over here and what brought him to the and just stage. just just to supplement your point and why it was so important to spend the last many minutes on building this context so if of course you guys all our listeners would have a sense from popular culture how actually bad the entire racial segregation the disenfranchisement was but uh, america african americans were not allowed to go to the same church for example that the whites would or go to the same schools even or uh, you know even though slavery was abolished a lot of the african americans served as help uh, and this you would have seen in popular culture so they were really really suppressed in modern american society and it called for a revolution and that's where mlk junior really was pivotal in the whole movement so martin luther king junior uh, was an american baptist minister who actually very very interestingly you know got a lot of his inspiration of nonviolence and civil disobedience from of course his christian beliefs but also from the activism of mahatma gandhi so he owes a lot of his learnings to gandhi nice mlk junior was born in atlanta georgia georgia as we know is a part of the southern states where racial segregation was more severe than the rest of the states uh you know his father mlk senior martin luther king senior was also an ebenezer baptist minister uh he once traveled all over the world ronnie you know from rome tunisia egypt finally he landed up at berlin where the father he, this is the right? father yeah uh, where uh, that the trip ended with visits to sites in berlin associated with the reformation leader martin luther so he was actually ah. michael king he then changed his name to martin luther martin luther we know as is one of the you know many reasons why protestantism exists but uh, that's when he came and changed his name to martin luther so anyway mlk junior's father also uh, was was very vocal in the rights for african americans he he led a few hundred people in you know marches and protests for voting rights discrimination that's when these seeds were sown in mlk junior's mind that you know uh, there is an ability of using oratory skills and your baptism background to actually get people together and stand up for your rights uh, in Absolutely. high school king became known for his public speaking ability so of course his christian roots uh, his you know influencing ability 
coupled with his baritone so a lot of people say that his baritone was the reason why he had so much impact so barack obama for example one of the best things he says is the way he says the things so absolutely yeah. so the same thing if you listen to mlk junior speak it's his baritone is uh, that really you know catches everyone's fancy so uh, it's called a oratined baritone Uh, so he was a part of the school debate he was also a gospel singer nice. and and he really was drawn most to history and english as subjects uh, you know in his junior mm-hmm. year uh, he once gave a speech in this oratorical con- uh, contest uh, where he said the following and it really stayed with me so he said black america still wears chains the finest n word is at the mercy of the meanest white man and after he won this competition on the ride home on that particular day to atlanta he and his teacher were ordered by the driver to stand so that a white passenger could sit down okay uh, and the driver of this very bus called him a black sob that was really the inflection point of him wanting to start a movement so he claimed that it was the angriest he has ever been in his life and and so much so that he actually was getting up is it <laughs> when the bus driver asked him to but it wasn't quick enough for the driver to be happy okay was, while he was getting up this guy goes into a barrage of you know abuses and i think 90 miles or so is how much he had to stand in in this bus journey oh, all the seats maybe that's full. also why he was so angry because he was tired as hell so uh, as and when he was finishing college by 1947 he also chose to enter the ministry and become a pastor uh, in 1951 after that he started his doctoral studies in systematic theology so religion itself at boston university and gained his phd <laughs> very funny i was reading his story during his phd he apparently asked one mm-hmm. of his friends uh, i think maya powell or something like that if she knew any southern girls who was interested in divinity <laughs> how indian is that <laughs> hey, you know any indian girls who would be malayali but <laughs> sorry gandhi was not the only influence that he took from india <laughs> <laughs> yeah so he did end up meeting coretta scott his his future wife through this powell who set them up and and eventually they got married after that he got into activism and of like he led a lot of marches and protests on him but a few really really elevated him to the status of a national leader the first and the start of it all was as you mentioned the montgomery bus boycott so before the whole big uh-huh. rosa parks incident in march of the same year in 1955 there was this 15 year old black school girl in montgomery called claudette colvin who refused to give up her bus mm-hmm. seat to a white man same in violation of the jim crow laws that you mentioned that kind of sparked some protests some voices etc but exactly 9 months later in december 1955 a similar incident occurred when the famous rosa parks was arrested for refusing to give up a seat on a city bus these two incidents led to the montgomery bus boycott which was urged and planned uh, you know and led by mlk junior so he was arrested during the campaign but he drew the attention of national media and eventually it led to a ruling which prohibited racial segregation in public buses so mlk junior only had this one thing where non violently you protest till it reaches the attention mm-hmm. of national media and the national media pressure will eventually force an outcome that's been his okay. modus operandi also but he couldn't do okay. it alone so in 1957 along with a few other civil rights activists he started the sclc 
or the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. Ever since his SCLC was formed, he's constantly organized marches, non-violent marches against the right to vote or for the right to vote rather, desegregation, labor rights. Uh, you know, he had many standoffs, was I think arrested some 30 times. But at least now SCLC was a movement, uh, was like a, a party that had a lot of these movements. There was another very interesting campaign in Birmingham, Albania. Uh, Alabama, sorry. Alabama. In 1963, mm-hmm. where again, uh, he, you know, occupied public spaces initially with marches and sit-ins. And then he realized that the protest is not getting enough traction. Then he did something for which it caused controversy. He asked women and children also to join and sit in peacefully okay. in the march. And huh. during the protest, the Birmingham Police Department, led by this uh, white supremacist racist guy called Eugene Bull Connor, used high-pressure water jets. And police dogs unleashed on the protesters, including children. So, uh, footage of this police response actually like went viral on national television, and you know shocked many white Americans, and again consolidated many black Americans behind these movements. This was the tipping point. All of this led to something which was pivotal, and of course, the the main topic of this podcast also the March on Washington, nineteen sixty So, like, like, like we discovered, Martin Luther King is now in the public spotlight. JFK has realized that you know something needs to be done for uh, for civil rights, for the civil rights movement, and all of that. So, two guys, Randolph and Bayard Rustin, were chief planners of this march on Washington, where the plan was to have a huge crowd in this area called the Mall in Washington, where you have the Lincoln Memorial on one side, the US Capitol on the other side, kind of like, you know, our Rajpath kind of scene in New Delhi. Yeah. So attending these this this uh, march in Washington and speakers, speakers were people like uh, Sidney Poitier, James Baldwin, etc. Uh, but also attending, I don't think maybe speaking, were our friend from our uh, drag episode. Judy Garland was there. Marlon Brando was there. Bob Dylan. Oh, really? Yeah. Coming back to this, like I said, it was a very, very long program. I think 18 or so speakers were there. Martin Luther King Jr. was number 16 or something of that sort. And the and and we link this in the show notes. There's this episode uh, of this podcast called Cautionary Tales that details how Martin Luther King prepares for his speeches. Huh? Apparently for his Sunday sermons, because he was a pastor in a church, he'd spent close to 15 hours preparing a speech. Okay you know, refining it, fine-tuning it, committing it to memory and all of that. And he'd very rarely go extempore totally. Huh? Over here, he'd again, you know, made a speech for the I had a dream, I have a dream speech. He'd So he went through that and apparently he was about to sit down yeah. when, you know, someone from... Mahalia Jackson. She was a singer also. Yeah, yeah this, she's a famous gospel singer. Correct. She shouted out to MLK, tell them about your dream, Martin. Tell them about your dream. Because he'd, ha- he'd actually given, I think, this I have a dream in speech in different versions on a few occasions before this. I, I'm sure Mahalia Jackson would have attended a few of those and wanted him to spend a little more time on that. And that's when he actually, I think, uh, uh, closed his notes or put his notes aside and went extempore. So that's, that's what at least this podcast cautionary tales uh, tells us. And let's get to the speech itself, Savant. Yes. 
the first half of the speech portrays kind of you know the journey so far for black americans from independence to the emancipation proclamation to where they are today so it essentially mlk tries to paint a picture of a dream not fully realized and in the second half of the speech he tries to you know lay his vision for the future which is i have a dream that xyz abc will happen so within the speech itself uh, some of the few things that i really really liked uh, were a few references that he made to multiple other speeches uh, uh, literary works or speeches etc one of them he starts off his speech actually with five score years ago which is a call back to the gettysburg address which we discussed where lincoln said four score and seven years ago mm-hmm. so so he starts off the speech five score years ago a great american in whose symbolic shadow we stand today signed the emancipation proclamation so he's standing at the lincoln memorial so he's calling back to lincoln so he refers to the gettysburg address after that he refers actually the declaration of independence itself yes black men as well as white men would be guaranteed the unalienable rights of life liberty and the pursuit of happiness that everyone in the united states should have equal access to and last but not the least he refers one of shakespeare's works from richard the 3rd where he says this sweltering summer of the negro's legitimate discontent will not pass until that is an invigorating autumn of freedom and equality lovely so shakespeare's original this one was now is the winter of our discontent made glorious summer by this son of york so in england winter is a bad season summer is what they look forward to mlk changed that to summer being in the south a very hot and sweltering type of atmosphere so summer is where they have discontent and autumn is when the seasons pleasant the weather is pleasant so he changed that as well so that's that's broadly what i really really liked uh, in the speech sound anything that in the speech i've just picked out four or five quotes that i really like and just guys imagine that this is galvanizing the world not just the national but international audiences against uh, uh, you know white superiority so the first one like you mentioned uh, the first time he mentions the word dream i think is so even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow i still have a dream so i like this sentence because okay. it sets the context for all the i have a dream that will follow then the first one he says is one day right bad in alabama little black boys and black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and white girls as sisters and brothers i have a dream today so he's painting the picture of you know these children all together sitting i think he also refers to sitting on the table of brotherhood which i find yes yeah grandchildren of, of slaves, slaves and grandchildren of slave owners will sit together on the table of brotherhood so it's so pictorially represented also that it is just it's, it's beautiful and uh, i have one more we will be able to speed up that day when all of god's children black men and white men jews and gentiles protestants and Holy. catholics will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old negro spiritual free at last free at last thank god almighty we are free at last 
so extending just you know uh, integration of the black community to to jews and you know just any protestants so on and so forth uh, eventually unfortunately on march 29 1968 rony uh, when he was in memphis tennessee again in support of a, a black movement for mm-hmm. sanitary public work employees okay the workers had been on strike they were not getting uh, neither treatment nor wages so he was there and one evening he was fatally shot by james earl ray uh james earl ray was you know he was a criminal he was a serial criminal you know he had prostitution racket i think he had a few other murder charges uh he always fled prisons but uh mm-hmm. the right motive was never chronicled but i think it's safe to say that he was a white supremacist was sick of because eventually uh, he was after you know uh, he was on his way after this assassination to mm-hmm. the uk and from uk he was going to rhodesia which is zimbabwe now which was okay. completely a white supremacist let's you know white farmers uh... were leading the state so his intentions were fairly racist we can establish that but not a All lot right. about his motives have been chronicled or so today mlk has a memorial on the on the uh, washington mall quite close to actually the lincoln memorial it's not very far away so if you were ever to visit washington do please visit the mlk memorial and also the lincoln memorial so it's kind of you know rather well located it's actually in between the jefferson memorial on one side and the lincoln memorial on the other side two people that uh, mlk kind of referenced in his i have a dream speech and the the memorial itself is a huge block of stone which is a cuboid so to say on one end and on the other end that stone is sculpted and you have martin luther king standing with arms crossed you know looking very imposing and there is a line from his i have a dream speech written over there out of the mountain of despair a stone of hope quite fitting so that's his physical legacy as it is so to say right now but of course i don't think uh, anyone can say that his dream is fully been realized even today but dear listeners if you haven't listened to this speech we urge you to just i'm sure ronnie will link it in the show notes please go on youtube experience the 17 minutes uh, there are shorter versions also it's definitely will give you goosebumps uh, and and if you do like episodes like these where we break down uh, the, the the history and the story behind famous speeches and quotes do write into us at surfacecratchers@gmail.com All right thank you for listening uh, guys uh, we hope you have a very good week ahead see you next week bye bye bye